Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is artist manager Zach Cirillo. First of all, you're probably paying too much for concert tickets. Resellers of concert tickets earned an average profit of about 41000 per show by charging an average of two times the original ticket price. And this is according to a new analysis by the National Independent Talent Organization, or NIDO. NIDO study found that multiple instances of tickets sold at 10 times the original price. In one instance, a ticket was resold for over $1,000 when the average face value was just $79. As an example, one single show from the study found that the average resale price was $210, almost $211 on tickets, with the original face value only at $65. How did this happen? Well, ticket buyers are confused by search engine optimization and paid placements by the resellers. So even though the original site still had inventory, they paid a premium to a reseller. And one of the reasons why? Some consumers are willing to pay higher prices to sit in seats that they could have purchased directly if the ticket reseller hadn't purchased them first. You can't do this in California because there are resale restrictions. But in states like New York and Illinois and Colorado, the profits were 92% to 99% on resale tickets. Most tickets sold in the secondary market are sold by predatory ticketing professionals, and they have access to technology which means that they can buy the best tickets before the fans do. Then the secondary ticket sites use all these profits to push their ticket listings to the top of the search engines. What happens? Fans get confused and they pay higher prices. Remember, the ticket resellers exploit fans and artists and venues and promoters, none of which benefit from secondary ticket sales. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Recording Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on the latest cutting-edge recording technology, multiple ways to mic over 70 different instruments, a new chapter on recording immersive audio, new Hitmaker Engineer interviews, and much more. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Speaking of prices for things, Spotify and YouTube Music are about to raise their prices. The Wall Street Journal reports that Spotify is about to raise its price from $9.99 a month to $10.99 very soon. That's only going to be in the U.S., but you can be assured that it's going to be introduced in other territories as well if this goes pretty good. Last year, Apple Music raised a subscription fee to $10.99, and it said that increased licensing costs were the reason. Amazon Music and Tidal then soon followed, and they upped their subscription charges as well. YouTube Music also just announced that the new price of an individual YouTube premium plan will now be $13.99 a month, which before it was $11.99, while YouTube premium music will be $10.99 a month, up from $9.99. Members who subscribe for more than five years will get a break, though, because they'll get three additional months at their current price. 
These price increases really are no surprise since the price of streaming music subscriptions really haven't risen with inflation, and higher prices are one of the ways to keep company shareholders happy. Hopefully, some of that extra revenue is going to trickle down in artists' pockets as well. My guest on this episode is artist manager Zach Zarillo. Zach is co-founder of Alternate Side, a full-service music company that represents over 30 artists in the alternative, rock, pop, electronic, and metal genres. He's also co-founded Bad Timing Records, and he began writing his popular music blog, Property of Zach, when he was just 16 years old. That blog became a go-to source for both music fans and industry insiders alike. Zach's alternate side management has a combined catalog of over 5 billion streams, 10 gold records, and 4 platinum records. He's also a fierce advocate for artist rights, which is the ethos of his company, and offers mentorship and assistance in music ownership, career development, finances, and mental health. During the interview, we spoke about how management has changed over the last few years, where he finds talent, how TikTok has benefited his artists, the reason why labels today don't sign artists, current trends in the business, and much more. I spoke with Zach via Zoom from his office in Philadelphia. Let's start back in the beginning. Tell me how you got into the music business. Sure. So I grew up um, in New York City, uh, was very, you know, always loved music, but was very insular. There was not a lot of people around me that loved the music I loved. Um, so I actually got into music. Um, it's been a pretty straight path. I started a blog when I was 16 in high school uh, that got pretty popular. It was a blog about alternative music, and I ended up selling it when I was 18. Um, kept running it through college and by way of relationship from that blog I made with artists and managers, record labels, publicists, I ended up managing my own artist and having my own record label. Started about 10 years ago. Actually, I started my own record label 10 years ago this week. So um, over in the last 10 years, I've gotten much deeper into owning a management company, having a series of different record labels and so on. But my, my entry into music industry was really uh, starting a blog and becoming popular enough where I ended up talking to lots of different people actually making the music. Well, that begs the question then, since you own a label and you're a manager at the same time, do you feel there's, con- well, you, you obviously don't, but is there a conflict of interest there? I do feel there's a conflict of interest, but I don't typically manage artists that are on my label and vice versa. I end up doing a lot of things for artists. I, I, look, I think that there's actually a skill set that I do both. I, a lot of our artists that we manage are independent focused, meaning they might own parts of their management company. Or sorry, sorry, they might own parts of their catalog, which is great. And that means I can help manage that catalog for them. And sometimes it enables us to not sell their music to a label, right? And they then get to keep 100% of their revenue. So... That means I know how to put it on vinyl or put it into retail for them or talk to people at Spotify or Apple Music on their behalf. Um, So it could certainly be a conflict of interest at times, but in this case, for the artists that I've managed, it's really trying to benefit them with the knowledge that I've gotten from other parts of working in the music industry. So we like to provide, you know, I like to say like we're providing a better service for the same price. We're not 
taking any cut or ownership of their masters or any more percentage than we would as a manager. We just have more knowledge in that area and we utilize that for our clients. It's interesting in that you're doing everything that traditionally a major label would do. So, and obviously it's changed over the years, but now it's like, well, why would you even consider that if an artist can go to someone like you and get the same services? It's a valid question. It's a question we we ask often, but everyone's in a very different position. Some of our artists that we manage are very young and they're worth risking things for a couple of years when maybe they can still live at home with their parents or have a cheap rent, right? Where some of the artists we manage are older, have a different living or health experience, and they need more money and financial cushion, and they will trade off parts of their ownership for that, right? So everything is really um, a game of leverage. And some artists, we have a lot of leverage, some we don't, some we need to build with help of others that leverage. We like to say we're always working to say no. We want to be able to say no for our artists. But sometimes you have to say yes first. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just talk about management for a little bit. So what don't people know about being a manager that you wish they would? Question. Um, My joke reply would be that um, it's a lot of babysitting. You know, I you really end up in these people's lives. I think to do a good job, you actually kind of have to be deep, deep in people's lives because if someone makes a bad purchase of a home or makes a bad investment into coffee shop or doesn't have health care, you know, things that are not technically your job, it ends up really affecting their work, which is your job. So I think you need to really, there's boundaries, right? That's, that's not to say there shouldn't be any boundaries. There should be many boundaries for yourself and the artist. But I really think in order to be a great manager, you have to really be able to give yourself to your clients and really care for them outside of the lines of the work, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of this job is just being really well organized, being thoughtful, being patient, not reacting. The music industry, I like to say, is a pretty fake place. There's no rules here that is for good and bad. You know, you, um, I just became a manager one day. I had a blog. I don't know if I should have been allowed to do that. Right. But I figured it out. A lot of people don't get rid of those bad habits. They learn when they're 18, 20, trying to figure out a manager and be a manager. And sometimes you have these clients that go really grow really big, but you're still doing things from when you were 22. And I think a lot of managers, including myself over the years, you really have to adapt and evolve. Okay, speaking of which then, from the time you started being a manager to now, how has that job changed? Or has it's it? It's so different. It has. I mean, some things are exactly the same. Touring, for the most part, getting an artist on tour is exactly the same, except it is just much more expensive, right? But the logistics are the same. The biggest thing that's changed for me is that streaming did not exist. Like 10 years ago, Spotify did not exist in America. <laughs> Apple Music did not exist. It was just iTunes. So the bands I first started managing, all they, all the only way they made money was from touring and merchandise sales on tour. There was no publishing income for the most part. There was no, you know, streaming income. So that has been a huge shift for the type of clients we look to manage, especially if they can own their catalog, because there's so much more revenue that can come from that for them and for us. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest, the biggest change. And then that, you know, having clients that stream 
opens you up to so many different types of partners, whether that's major labels or larger publishers, etc. Well, speaking of streaming, you seem to be someone that embraces it while a lot of the industry looks at it as something that's a necessary evil. I think it's saved the music industry. I don't think there's much argument around that. That's not to say that I don't wish we got paid more, right? Like, sure, I, I want to get paid more by everyone. Um, but the music industry was kind of in a death spiral outside of porn. There's no really argument there. Downloads, sales, you know, we're just plummeting. Billions of dollars a year made for streaming. We manage artists that make millions of dollars a year from streaming only. I think most people that complain about streaming really are too embarrassed to tell the truth, which is that they signed a bad deal with a major label. You signed a deal with a major label where you only get 16% of your income. Well, yeah, 16% of a fraction of a penny is not a lot of pennies, right? That's not Spotify's fault. That's not the major label's fault. That's your fault. That's your lawyer's fault. Now, maybe you needed to take that deal in order to be the artist you wanted to be, which is cool. But then I don't think it's fair to blame the streaming services on your failure. Yeah, given the fact that I don't think any of them are making money. So it's not like they're rolling in profits. Yeah, I mean, and, and I do think they're going to pay more over time. And look, a, a fraction more of a penny is a significant difference. So I, I really hope over time we, you know, have more labels, have more leverage over the streaming services without a doubt. But also to say, and there's things about all the services that drive me completely insane. But we would be in a really bad way without streaming. There's just no question about it. When it comes to working with the streaming service, which one do you find easiest? Uh, <laughs> they all have their positives and challenges. Some some services, there's people at them that are much more talkative with you and helpful on how to get your artists on playlist. Some are, but those services might actually have less listeners than others, so it doesn't really matter as much, right? I end up using all of them because I need to check on things. I pay for a lot of services because I need to check on, I need to be able to see the full experience. But they all provide their value in different ways, right? Like there's Amazon has tie-ins with Amazon.com, right? That's helpful. Spotify is now showing concerts um, and, and merchandise in the in the app, which is really helpful. Apple Music is connected to Shazam, right? Like, all these services are trying to add more value than just the streaming to kind of to try to set themselves apart from their competitors. And that's ultimately a win for the artist. Yeah, that's one of the problems, isn't it? Where when you look at it, the product is, at least to a user, an end user, the product is the same. So what you're buying yeah, is the is experience. A, music is a commodity now. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And that's, you know, people think commodity can be an ugly word. I guess it's really up to the eye of the beholder. Like, I think it's amazing that you can get all this music. I think it's worth more. I think Spotify could charge $5 more a month, and I don't think people are going to cancel their plan. You know, We've seen places like Netflix charge a lot more, and I think it is time for Spotify, Apple, Amazon to charge more, and I think their services are strong enough where they can, and, and that money will get passed down to the artists if and when they start charging more. What I heard was that Spotify couldn't do it because of their licensing deals with the major labels. Yeah, a lot of the deals are coming up. So we'll see where these new negotiations land, which is great. You know, I think music continues to get more and more popular as it always does. And that ultimately gives the labels more negotiating power. 
As a manager, where do you find talent these days? A lot of places. Sometimes it's surfing Spotify. <clears throat> Sometimes booking agents that we work with or lawyers that we work with will recommend us a client. Sometimes you'll see something on an app like TikTok or Instagram and it'll make you curious. Uh, you know, our ro- the roster I have artists is all over the place. It's it's by recommendation. It's by myself finding them. It's by social media apps. It is never typically, or maybe ever on my case, that someone comes to us um, and like an artist reaches out. Typically that's never happened. Um, doesn't mean it couldn't, but that's, you know, it's typically like, it's coming into our orbit from someone that isn't the artist themselves. You never find anybody going out live and hearing them then? No, never once. That doesn't mean I won't go see a show that I'm going to anyway, right? In the opening band I'm impressed by. That happens all the time. But um, I'm not typically... I, I typically don't find that I am... It's hard for me to get into an artist when I don't know the lyrics at all and not... I need I need a little more contact. That's not to say I might not think their show is good, but I need a little more for me. Okay, what's your feeling on TikTok? Because obviously you can have something go viral and in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really mean all that much. I don't agree with that. No? I mean, TikTok has made my artists millions of dollars. Directly from now, TikTok? TikTok itself yeah. is not, the, no, not directly, but yeah. it, it creates so much value on streaming services, touring and merchandise that it has made my artists many millions of dollars over a whole roster. And, you know, I'm very thankful for it. I, I, you know, I think the worst thing about TikTok outside of its security and potential political issues, which I think are real, I, I, I do think if I, if I had to put personal money on it, I would guess that TikTok does not exist in five years the way it does today. But the biggest issue I have with TikTok is not the app itself, but the way um, the music industry has kind of given up on figuring out how to market artists. A lot of major labels now just say, well, if you're not doing anything on TikTok, there's no work for us to be done here. They've uh, Marketing departments have really been just kind of given up to if well if it doesn't work on tiktok there's no job for us here which is really um upsetting as you might imagine there's a lot of of laziness going on in labels these days and in a and r where you know you find an algorithm is looking for the next biggest artist rather than someone you know an a and r person actually going out to listen or finding exactly finding a an artist that is doing really well live and then actually making the effort to go out and find out why that's exactly the issue yeah and so that that's been a dispiriting you know thing in the last few years of there's so much good stuff happening but labels are seriously not signing artists just because they're not viral on tiktok which is you know sad okay speaking of which well actually social in general let's talk about so how do you direct your artists to post on social and the reason why i bring this up is artists really want to be artists and they don't want to delve into the business all that much. There are some that are outliers that really get into it, but for the most part, they would rather let management handle it. And that comes down to social. There are some that really are into it and want to do it and feel it's part of what they do. And there are others that just don't want anything to do with it or as little as possible. So in that case, how would you direct them? It's tricky. 
I am not good at social media. Social media is not my strong suit as a manager. I also don't personally really like social media. <laughs> so it is tough one. We definitely have artists that are really good at it and artists that are really bad at it. And artists that are once were good at it, but have been bullied or offended by it and don't want to be there anymore. And it, it's really tricky. Sometimes, you know, some artists we work with are fortunate enough to be financially successful where we can hire a marketing or social media company to take that off our hands. And that is always preferred. And then sometimes you, we do a bad job at social media, frankly, because I'm never going to be able to do a good job pretending to be my artist. So we don't want to force that because that can do more damage than good. Okay. So can an artist survive without it? Yes, but it's gets harder. Some artists, you know, there are, there are many exceptions to the rule, but it gets hard. Certainly. What trends are you seeing in the business? I think the, you know, it's talking about TikTok. Things are going viral a lot less now. Uh, in COVID, since everyone was just literally locked up, of course, like things are going viral nonstop. That's not happening to the degree it was. We're also seeing major labels really close their pocketbooks right now. Um, the publishers are spending more than ever. Publishers are seeing games from streaming that they feel really so that's an interesting switch where publishers used to be a little more <clears throat> slow to offer or slow to offer bigger deals. Like that's, that's shifting, which is great. And I think we continue to see labels, whether majors or indies give better terms like splits or licenses to artists that they would not have done five years ago. And again, I TikTok kind of pushed and helped some of that too, as did Spotify. That amazes me because that was never an option when I was doing it. You know, the, the deal was the deal. If you wanted it, great. And if not, there were a dozen or dozens behind you that would take it. That's a trend in the right direction, I would say. I agree. I, I think the music industry, I mean, look, there's, I could also complain to you all day, but I think the music industry in a lot of ways is making good strides overall. Yeah. Especially when so much is changing, like good wins are happening. Okay. Let's go there for a second. So how would you describe that? What are they? What are the good or bad changes? Sorry. Well, both. A little of both. I, th I think the good is this ability for artists to own their music and actually seek money and, and be more independently minded. I think that is like extremely great and, and really new. It's still very new. I think bad is this cost, like the, you know, inflation, whatever it is, the current moment we're in is, is really challenging for a young artist to, be able to tour and make an income. I used to manage bands when I was 20 to 23, four or five that could literally get a four piece that would get paid $200 a night as a guarantee could sell $8,000 a night on merch and come home and everyone would get paid 10 grand or 15 grand for a month of their time. That's impossible now, right? Like the, the middle class, the, the lower class of music never really existed, right? But there was a decent middle class. Right. And, and then a, a good upper class and then like, you know, the 1%. Right now, that middle class is really getting strangled. And that's, that's really hard. And it's, it's really unfortunate because you can have, you should on paper be able to not be a large streaming artist and still tour and be, um, you know, really successful. That has been the case forever. And we're not seeing that right now. There actually used to be a pretty healthy lower and middle class. It was before your time. And I experienced it where you could make a really good living just as a cover band, for instance, playing four or five times a week, you know, four sets a night. 
and make a good living, a good enough that you didn't have to get a job. There are a couple reasons why that went away, but the one thing I lament about it going away was the fact that it, it was a great farm team, so to speak, where you could learn your chops in front of an audience and really know how to work an audience. So it was valuable in that respect. And now there are artists that kind of never have done that and, and graduate to working big crowds and not really having the experience in how to do that. That's hard, I would think. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I think it's always hard to break an act, but it's definitely challenging right now, especially when some of these labels are not helping you in the same way because they're kind of begging the TikTok gods to help, which is not a thing. So marketing, you know, continues to change. We'll we'll see it through. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good place to go, though. How has marketing changed now that the trend is more to release singles than to release albums or release a bunch of singles and then compile them into an album. So how, how has that changed in terms of marketing for you? Yeah, I, I like both approaches. You know, I, I personally, as a listener, I'm an, am an album person. So I'm always going to suggest my artists make albums, but singles do a lot of good. You know, we're really pro collaborations where two artists release a joint single or like a remix we're very pro that as a management company so uh, you know every everyone has different needs some artists that we work with are really like they need an album to be able to go out and tour right or whatever then some artists we can just keep releasing singles for two years right whether some could be covers some could be album you know some could be remixes, originals, collaboration, then there's a lot of flexibility. And, and spot, you know, the streaming services can reward you for that too, which is really nice. As a manager, what is the one thing that surprised you about being a manager? You know, I, I, in like, in a really personal way, I, it's been a real joy to be able to travel the world and, and see what kind of effects you can have on an artist in different places. I went to South America with one of my clients around a year ago and to see that reaction was just so personal and and rare because they don't get music to the degree we do here, right. In terms of amount of people that come. So, you know, to see, to, to see that those kind of victories, to see how you can really change someone's life, just like my life was once changed in music, right? Like it's really amazing. (laughs) And then I think it's, you know, it's surprising me to see how, high the highs can be for an artist and how low they can be too frankly like what touring the brutality of touring or mental health etc can be and and really just to see how different people are right i started doing this when i was 20 years old managing and i didn't know many people right <laughs> like a lot of i was very inexperienced in life and so i've really come to like my whole life has been this um, I've been doing this for almost 50% of my life. I'm 30. So it's just been interesting. The most surprising thing to me is how different everyone is and how different that makes every situation. Because if you had one artist and the other artist situation personality wise, maybe things would be going way better or way worse. And it's a very unique job because you, most managers manage multiple clients. And that means you're kind of the CEO of multiple businesses and all those businesses, while theoretically the same type of industry can be so wildly different. 
You know, you mentioned something before. A trend that I see that I'm really thankful is happening is recognizing the mental health problems that can arise from touring. And having experienced it myself, where I went into a deep depression during a time when it should have been a cause for celebration. And I was so miserable, you can't believe it. And now I find out years later that a lot of artists go through that. It wasn't just me. (laughs) So when I look at this and, and I see how this is coming to the forefront, it's like, about time. This is really good that this is getting out. And then to have people like you that will support that when it does, figure out how to actually get around it, how to help means a lot. Yeah. And and that's been a big adjustment for me. When I was 20, I was not the most emotionally in touch person with myself either. And to see, I end up now working with a lot of younger people. I've worked with some artists since they were 15. Um, and see a person change, literally go through puberty, date someone for the first time, get married, get divorced. There's so much that affects so much of your career naturally, especially when you're an artist. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah, the mental health is a real part of what we have to deal with positively and negatively. There's no doubt. Okay. Last question, Zach, what's the best piece of business advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or maybe you learned along the way? What I like to say to people that I'm trying to hire is we all make mistakes. That's not the problem. What makes it a better solution is owning it um, and being responsible. I think, you know, that's something I struggle a lot with people I work with. I'm younger, but I, you know, I, I think because I've been doing this, I feel like I am older. Um, and a lot of people that I work with have a really hard time taking ownership of their mistakes. I'm glad that's something I learned very young <clears throat> because it lets you recover relationships a lot more. Um, and that's something I really respect in people. And again, I le- like learning about leverage and really how to take the long view with a client is just, I think, a really important thing. I guess that's not specific you know, a stated piece of advice, but those are things I think about a lot. You know, you mentioned something here about hiring people. And I'm just curious how easy it is for you to hire somebody, given the fact that there's so many business courses, music business courses in colleges these days. Does that seem to make a difference or not? No, I went to music industry college. It was a total waste of money. I would probably not hire you you went to school for the music industry. Uh, it's such a waste of money and time. I'm terrible. It's such a scam. <laughs> Hiring is hard. Um, it's so relationship-based. You know, I hired someone two years ago. I realized, I only realized after I hired them that I didn't even know if they went to college or not, which is such a funny thing. The music industry is so relationship-made that it's, it's tough to hire. Hiring long is so costly. Uh, it's so expensive to hire the wrong person, not financially, even just the, what it costs you in other ways. Now, you know, I made a bad hiring mistake once. And since then, thankfully, I, I think it really taught me. <laughs> yeah. And I try very hard to hire right now. Uh, you know, we look for people that are really motivated, even if they don't have this exact skill set we need them to have today. We, we want to look at the type of person they are, their how we feel that they might be in a stress situation if they can take ownership for mistakes, right? Like I was just talking about things like that. I'm now more interested in the type of person than the resume. You know, you mentioned about not hiring somebody if they went to music business school. 
And I had a situation somewhat like that because I had gone to Berkeley College of Music. When I moved to Los Angeles, I was warned, don't tell anybody you went to Berkeley because that will eliminate you from getting any kind of job. So I went down to A&M Studios, which is one of the bigger ones, was one of the bigger ones, to visit a friend. And there was a session just wrapping up. And there were six people in the studio. Four of them were musicians that were just wrapping up their stuff. And there was my friend and I, and we started to talk about Berkeley. One of us mentioned Berkeley, and as soon as that happened, the ears of the other four guys picked up. I was like, you went to Berkeley? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. You went to Berkeley? And all of us had gone, but the only people that knew that was my friend and I. And it just goes to show you that the advice was, you know, don't tell anybody. (laughs) And I think that's still true to some degree that, you know, it can be used against you if you're not cautious. Agree. You know, to me, uh, maybe what I was saying was a little aggressive, but you just, I found that a lot of the people that, like the music industry is about making it happen for yourself, in my opinion. No one's going to help you. You, you know, if you get a medical degree, you have a you have a pretty decent job of going and to working at a hospital, right? It's the opposite of how the music industry works, and I found that a lot of people that go to school for music industry think that they're just going to get placed at a hospital, right? And I guess I wish that's how it worked, but like I said before, I I view the industry it's like such not a real place or thing, you know. Yeah. You really have to make your own luck, and I think those four years. I used those four years to my advantage. I had a job, I had multiple jobs the whole time in the music industry. I think a lot of, the, that, so that to me is a plus, right? But a red flag is someone hiring me. Did you did you not work when you were in college, right? Because if not, you're, you're starting so far behind. That's how I view it anyway. You can find out more about Zach at zzerillo.com. That's Z. Zarillo, C-A-R-R-I-L-L-O dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 